0: Yeah. <laughs> Christmas, Merry Christmas from the Resistance Chicks family. You know, it's been an absolutely phenomenal year of God moving and shaking and everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But today on Christmas Day, we wanted to come to you and bring you a story of redemption. Through we have a dog upstairs that's very excited about this subject. Uh but but seriously, Charles Dickens and a Christmas Carol has transformed generations it's a story that they continuously redo and put out for everyone to see every generation every kind of group of people wants to do this story why because deep within all of us We want the idea and we love the idea that God is a redeemer of even the most bitter of souls and also to be able to go back in your past and see it through the lens of who you are now.
1: A Christmas Carol is this timeless tale uh, that cuts deep into the hearts of the hardest hearts Indeed, there are common themes throughout all of Dickinson's novels that move people to make changes in their own lives after encountering the characters in these timeless tales. What is it about the Dickens' fictional stories that have moved people to tears over Mm. the years? Um, I hope that many of you have read A Tale of Two Cities. Or um, uh, Little Dorrit, David Copperfield, or David Copperfield. I hope that Oliver you have, twist. or even Bleak House. I hope that you have, because there is some anointing that came upon this man, and little did I know until this year, the depths of his Christianity mm-hmm. that inspired his novels. You know, uh, I love the the same era. Uh, is it like Jane Austen? Mm-hmm did not write from the depths of Christianity to move people. Okay, she moved people romantically, but she didn't <laughs> move people to change their very lives. And it, a lot of his stories seemed dark and bleak because the time in the Victorian era of uh, the 1800s was very dark and London was very bleak. And Charles uh, himself, Charles Dickens himself, he knew what he wrote of. So I... They would say just, write what you know, right? I had just assumed, David Copperfield, there's a famous line. Please, sir, can I, I have some more? I
0: think that's an Oliver Twist.
1: Oliver Twist? Yeah. Okay, sorry, Oliver Twist. I get a They are stories they that are very, are very confusing. They're very similar. They are. Why are they similar? Because he's telling the story almost of himself. Um, and his father had gone to debtor's prison and in, in debtor's prison your whole family went. So imagine I think that's in David Copperfield. Imagine that your 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 dad or mom took out a loan mm-hmm. and then you all had to pay it off. All of you. He worked in a shoe-blacking factory for 14 hours a day as a child. And he 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 ended up he did go to school and he was educated and he took on a different view of Christianity than some of the revivalists and the ministers of his day. He believed in applied Christianity. He believed that Jesus Christ lived deep in, if if Jesus Christ lived deep inside of you, then you would make the world a better place. And some people have thought of him more of a deist, but he truly believed in the divinity of Jesus Christ. There was a little known work. He wrote a work to his children, basically telling them about Jesus and how to know Jesus and how to live out the life of Jesus um the the gospel of Jesus Christ I didn't know this I can see it in if you read it in the in in the books if you read the books you could read them if you watch some of the adaptations you may not find them so today I want to take you to show you some of the different places in a Christmas carol or in his other works where you're going to no, not just see an allusion to Jesus, but you're going to see Jesus. Amen. Um, uh, there's a uh, article called God and Scrooge, how Charles Dickens pursued real Christianity from CBN. I'm going to play a video for you in a second if you show you when to get that, get that queued up. But this is from a letter uh, from Charles Dickens to one of his critics. All of my strongest illustrations are derived from the New Testament. Mm. Wait a minute. Every single... He was making illustrations. So in many of these these stories, he was deriving from the Bible, from Hebrews, from Luke. The Christmas Carol is all about the story of Jesus, redemption, how Jesus Christ comes into the, the darkest, despicable soul of Scrooge. Uh, let them die and decrease the surplus population. Are there no, uh, workhouses? Um, and we're going to play that line for you in a minute. He derived uh, all of these themes from the gospel, from the new Testament. All my social abuses are shown as departures from its spirit. Mm. This is the key. So when you see people being abused or beaten or children being hurt, yeah. He's trying to make an illusion that this is what life looks like when you get away from the spirit of God. He capitalized S there from the spirit of God in the New Testament. All my good people are humble, charitable, faithful. So like Fred, forgiving over and over again. You see tiny Tim um, in the Christmas Carol. I think we should even bless Mr. Scrooge. And
0: I I love it. and,
1: and, and, and there's just so much to the story I claimed. And he actually overdid it that there would be these kind of good people. But you know why? Because he wanted to inspire you and me and yeah. his children that you can be this way. Like Amen. this character, you can love so great. You can forgive so great. You can be changed so greatly. Um, I claim them in the expressed words as disciples of the founder of, Of our religion. He says, I claim these characters and these traits as the expression of Jesus Christ. That's really powerful. Uh, For example, in A Christmas Carol, um, Marley's warning to Scrooge about what it means to truly live life reflects the importance of imitating Christ. The taking care of humanity, the thinking about my fellow man, doing unto others as I would have them do unto me. For Dickens, the golden rule was absolutely crucial. So I want to, if you could play this video, we're going to give you an introduction. We're going to dive into the Christmas Carol, um, this right one? with, um, the CBN article. Oh, the one with the fire. Here yeah. we go. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. So we're going to just play the video right there. We're going to play this
0: video right there. Yeah. Okay. Right on the website. Here we go.
2: Yes, you, my good fellow. What day is today?
0: Today? Why, well, it's
3: Christmas Day, of course. Christmas Day? I haven't missed it. From the screen to the stage. The transformation of Ebenezer Scrooge from miser to cheerful giver strikes a chord in the hearts of adults and children.
4: There goes Mr. Humbug. There goes Mr. Grimm. If they
5: gave a prize for being mean, the winner would
3: be him. All these versions are the result of Charles Dickens' classic novel, A Christmas Carol. The legendary 19th century English writer loved the holiday. He was even quoted as saying, I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year.
6: Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance and benevolence were all my business.
3: Scholar and author Dr. Gary College has studied Dickens extensively. The Akron, Ohio native even studied in the UK, earning a PhD at the prestigious University of St. Andrews for his work on the faith of Dickens.
6: That's what's gonna be prevalent in, in anything we read by Dickens, that idea that real Christianity, and Dickens uses that, that term real Christianity a number of times in letters and, and in his, his writing, uh, real Christianity is is being like Jesus.
3: During his research, college discovered that Dickens was a Christian and his faith in Jesus Christ surfaces throughout his works in the themes and characters. He read a letter for us from Dickens to one of his critics.
6: All my strongest illustrations are derived from the New Testament. All my social abuses are shown as departures from its spirit. Wow. All my good people are humble, charitable, faithful, forgiving, Over and over again, I claim them in express words as disciples of the founder of our religion. For
3: example, in A Christmas Carol, College says Marley's warning to Scrooge about what it means to truly live life reflects the importance of imitating Christ.
6: The taking care of humanity, the the thinking about my fellow man, uh, doing unto others as I'd have them do unto me. Uh, For Dickens, uh, the golden rule was, was absolutely crucial.
3: College believes the most definitive evidence for the Christian faith of Charles Dickens is this little known work, written during the height of his career over a period of three years for his children. It's simply titled, The Life of Our
6: Lord. Critics are right, it's not a fantastic piece of literature, but it is, uh, uh, it just, it shines a bright light on Dickens' faith because he is the sole editor of this thing.
3: College calls the life of our Lord a gospel harmony where the author interweaves the four gospels into a single narrative. In this case, Dickens summarized the life of Christ for the next generation, his children.
6: My dear children, I'm very anxious that you should know something about the history of Jesus Christ for everybody ought to know about him.
3: Gospel harmonies were very important in the 19th century. A Christian family at that time would have had at least two books in their home, the Bible and a gospel harmony.
6: The spiritual formation of his children is, is nothing that Dickens would leave to someone else. He just wouldn't have done that. So this would have been a very important tool in the Dickens family uh, for religious instruction, for instruction in, in, in Christian thinking.
3: College says very few people know about this part of Dickens' work or his Christian faith. Literary critics dismissed his religion as unimportant and superficial, and educators followed suit. Even College found himself criticized when presenting his dissertation at St. Andrews.
6: That I would be so audacious as to suggest that this icon of of British literature uh, was somehow a man of faith. Um, I don't know how to explain that hostility other than um, people like darkness better than light.
3: Over the years, it hasn't always been negative. A handful of literary scholars have discussed the faith of Dickens. To shine the light much brighter on the Christian beliefs of one of the greatest writers in history, College says he believes God wanted him to write this book. It's entitled God and Charles Dickens, Recovering the Christian Voice of a Classic Author, a book released this year, which is the 200th anniversary of Dickens' birth.
6: All of that was providential and guided by our Lord. Um, it was it was actually rather easy to get a publisher. That's not, that's not always true. It's just a good feeling to when you when you know the spirit of God is involved and 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 this is not your project
3: he dedicates the book to his grandchildren writing may you each find joy as did Dickens in our savior mark martin Cbn news Akron ohio
0: so when was this art so this was last year so last year mm-hmm. was that anniversary which is amazing actually
1: yeah yeah and all of this is kind of coming together I think that in this moment we need the the voice of uh, Charles, Charles Dickens,
5: Dickens is the author um, of one of again. the greatest we're Christmas again, class again.
1: you, you can just close it out uh, so I have an article here from American magazine no Scrooge he the Christianity of Charles Dickens although he wanted to be popular and wealthy uh, through his writing Charles Dickens the author of the Christmas Carol. Uh, had really only one goal as a novelist. He wanted his novels to be parables, stories that would emphasize the teaching That's of Jesus. Definitely. So sometimes they seem so dark, mm-hmm. but they all have happy endings. Even the Tale of Two Cities, which talks about um, the so French Revolution yeah. and the guillotines. He shows it to you in it's raw and real darkness. And then he shows the light of Christ actually where, where someone actually gives their life for someone else at the end of the story. Uh, one of the uh, aspect One of the aspects of his life that best reveals Dickens' deep Christian faith is his fiction. He believed firmly that he had a responsibility as an artist to make clear to his readers how to lead a moral life. Mm. He wanted to show through his novels that Christianity was important to their beliefs and actions. A note he wrote to his friend, Reverend D. Macaray, expressed exactly how he felt. With a deep sense of my great responsibility always upon me when I exercise my art, one of my most constant and my most earnest endeavors has been to exhibit in all my good people some faint reflections of the teachings of the great master, and unostensibly uh, to lead the reader up to those teachings as the great source of moral goodness. And then uh, all of my strongest illusions are, are derived from the, from the, the New Testament. Arguably, the most beloved novelist of his time, Dickens is best known for A Christmas Carol. In his tale, Scrooge's conversion from selfishness selfishness to selflessness, Dickens succeeded in calling attention to what are regarded as common Christian themes, centering on redemption and love. What makes Scrooge such a wonderful character, in spite of his reputation as greedy and uncaring, is that he is really a Dickinsonian everyman. He is the representation of all human beings who are seeking to find the secret of what makes life meaningful. Scrooge asks the same questions all human beings ask. How does one find salvation? Um, when you see scrooge changed he went to uh, church and he walked about the streets and he watched people hurrying to and fro and he patted children on the head and questioned beggars and he looked into the kitchens the houses and up on the windows and found that everything could yield him pleasure he had never dreamed that any walk that anything could give him so much happiness in his novels correspondence and speeches dickens avoids making direct statements about his own personal religious beliefs for him christianity meant something positive rather than negative negative something that emphasized morality and love. Uh, In his writings and speeches, he portrays the life of Jesus as the best example one could lead. Um, Robert Hanna recently wrote two books about Christian teachings in Dickens' uh, works. First, the Dickens Family Gospel focuses on the ways that Dickens, as a Christian parent and teacher, attempted to give his own children a sound religious education. We just heard about that from the CBN video uh, on the New Testament, and he said this, I most strongly and affectionately impress upon you the priceless value of the New Testament and the study of that book as the one unfailing guide guide to life. Mm. The famous novelist also wrote many prayers for his children. Uh, Hannah cites one, hear what our Lord Jesus Christ taught to his disciples and to us, and that we should remember every day of our lives to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind and all our soul, and with all our strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves, to do unto other people as we would have them do unto us, and to be charitable and gentle to all. There is no other commandment our Lord Jesus Christ said to us greater than these, and in Hannah's second book, The Dickens Christian Reader, uh, you can see the novelist's firm Christian convictions based on the Old and New Testaments. Um, we can see, we know about, um, most readers know the passage from Deuteronomy uh, 15, 7, on which the Christmas Carol rests, but there are many other passages in the Bible that are reflected in Dickens' novels. In David Copperfield, for instance, the forgiveness of steerforths uh, Emily's seducer by Mr. Uh, Pedigotti, Emily's uncle, illustrates clearly the words of Matthew 7, 1, judge not, lest you be judged. Matthew eighteen twenty one: how often must I forgive him? Seven times? No, Jesus replied. No, uh, not seven times, I say, but seven times 70, uh, seven 70 times seven. More uh, more familiar, perhaps, is the allusion in John fifteen thirteen: There is no greater love than this to, than to lay down one's life for them friends. In A Tale of Two Cities, in which Sidney Canton goes on to the guillotine in place of Charles Darney. These Christian themes are scattered throughout all of Dickens' novels, but they are perhaps most prominent in The Life of Our Lord, a book that Dickens called an easy version of the Gospels. This work, written in 1846, and we talked about this for the reading of his children, was not published actually until 1934. Wow! Dickens' own title was The Children's New Testament. More than any of his his writings, it reflects the spirit of what he called real Christianity, by which he meant the Christian virtues of kindness and forgiveness. The Life of Our Lord illustrates precisely what Dickens' Dickens wanted his his children to believe the teachings of Jesus Christ. First, Dickens predicts uh, depicts Jesus as kind and, lo- and loving. He tells his children that he is anxious that they know something about the history of Jesus Christ because he tells them, no one ever lived was so good, so kind, and so gentle and so sorry for all people who did wrong or were in any way ill or miserable. He describes Jesus as a child who grew up to be so good that God would love him, will love him as his own son and will teach men to love one another and to not quarrel with one another. Another section of the life treats the miracles of Jesus Christ jesus performed miracles here on earth and these miracles were done because dickens tells his children god had given jesus christ the power to do such wonders and he did them that people might know that he was not a common man and might believe what he taught them and also believe that god had sent him throughout the book dickens emphasized those qualities we associate with god loving kindness Uh, so he did not stray away from the miraculous of jesus christ um he says, remember, it is Christianity to always do good, even mm. to those who do evil to us. It is Christianity to love our neighbor as ourself and to do to all men as we would have them do to us. It is Christianity to be gentle, merciful, forgiving, and to keep those qualities quiet in our hearts. Throughout his work, then, Dickens reinforces these values. Um, our mutual friend, Charles Dickens, uh, last completed novel, treats his favorite themes, class education, and mercenary attitudes. In this novel, Dickens condemns mercenary marriages and class prejudices and emphasizes the value of education. He depicts the positive characteristics of his own Christian beliefs in Bleak House, demonstrating through the character of Esther Summerson the way that a selfless life, one based on the teachings of Jesus Christ, can help others. At the end of the novel, Esther, now married to a doctor, muses on her life, and she says this, We are not rich in the bank, but we have always prospered and we have quite enough i never lie down at night but i know that in the course of the day he has alleviated pain and soothed some fellow creature in time of need i know that from the beds of those who were past recovery thanks have often often gone up in the last hour for his patient patient ministration. is this not to be rich for Charles Dickens, it is clear that Esther provides, as one critic has put it, a moral lens on characters and events and shows us how to live with Christian responsibility in an imperfect world. In Great Expectations, Dickens illustrates the words of Matthew 6, 1-4 by having Pip anonymously help his friend Herbert Pockets. I begged Wimmick, Pip says, to understand that my help must always be rendered without habits, knowledge or suspicion. Clearly, this echoes Matthew, be on guard against performing religious acts for people to see. Keep your deeds of mercy secret, and your father who sees in secret will, re- will repay you openly. When we're looking at the life of Charles Dickens, I would like if we could go to the NPR, um, the, the, sorry, not the NPR, the uh, Public Square Christmas and start at timestamp, if you could bring that up at yeah. uh, minute 1445. um. We're gonna take a little gander here. One of my new favorite uh, Christmas shows is the um, Public Square. It's based here in Ohio, 1445. And they have done <laughs> Christmas, um Christmas uh, specials and this is part one and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I listened to it twice and they really break down Char- Charles Dickens' life. So I'm gonna start right here. That's a
7: And nice. monetary. The family struggled mightily to keep up, but eventually fell into financial ruin. The family was sent to debtor's prison, where they lived while sentenced to work off their financial debts. At the age of 10, young Charles Dickens was taken out of school and forced to work in a shoe-blacking factory, where he worked 14-hour shifts to help pay the family debt. It took almost a year for the Dickens family to recover from that debt. Charles went back to school with a passion to never return to the tyranny of debt and forced labor. His passion turned to writing, reporting, and the theater. And passion was a word that fueled Dickens for the rest of his days. Charles Dickens published his first book in 1837.
8: He was 25 years old when Pickwick Papers was released in serial form in the newspaper. Now, a serial was a weekly release of a chapter of a book, sort of like the way we watch TV episodes these days. So in a way, Dickens was the Hulu and Netflix and Apple TV+. Plus. He wrote five serial novels by the year 1842, including Pickwick Papers, Oliver Twist, Nicholas Nickleby, The Old Curiosity Shop, and Barnaby Rudge. Americans could not get enough of
7: Dickens' stories. In 1843, Dickens began the book, A Christmas Carol. It was not written in chapters, but in five staves. Now, a stave is the British term for a musical staff, where the composer writes the notes of the song. There are five verses in (laughs) Dickens' Christmas Carol. The author was trying to tell us this story as a composer creates a musical score. And this score has a lot to do with the visitation of angels.
0: So I just, as he mentioned the Pickwick Papers, I was like, wait a minute, we have the Pickwick Papers. And I was like, I'm pretty sure it's down here. We actually have two Charles Dickens um, kind of older versions. The other one I have not read is um, Sketches, Boz, and Hard Times. Those are two different, I think, stories that are in here uh, sketches by Boz. And then I think hard times is, um, a separate story. Um, I think it is, I don't know. But anyway, I just thought that that was really, Oh, let me close out great expectations there. Um, I was like, Oh, these are, they're literally
1: sitting right down here in our studio. How funny is that? Isn't that awesome? Yeah, that is pretty awesome. All right. So I want to tell you a little bit more about Charles Dickens before we actually get into the Christmas Carol. Dickens not only used his works to convey Christian morals, but he also outlived his Christian life. As an example, he practiced Christianity by devoting his time and energy for charity. Through his speeches, public readings, and writing, he fetched support for adult education, health, and sanitary organizations. They needed some, you know, good plumbing, prison reforms, and recreational societies. He worked to get funds to provide relief and pension for disabled writers and artists. Dickens involved himself in supporting the projects of Miss Angela uh, Burdett Coutts, a a wealthy uh, woman in Victoria, England. The Ragged School's Instructions to the Outcast in London and Urana Cottage, the Home for Homeless Women, are two of her uh, Philip. Philanthropic. Uh, thank you. Project. It's a tough one. Dickens wrote series of letters to the National Daily Newspaper in the United Kingdom titled "Daily News," and an article for Household Words, a weekly magazine, encouraging support for the project. Urania Cottage is set up by was set up by Dickens himself and uh, managed on behalf of Angela uh, Burdett Coutts to rescue fallen women from the life of prostitution or crime. Um, that is okay. So we see kind of again with this
0: darkness. Throughout Dickens' writings that he that's understood
1: why he why wanted to help. Imagine prostitution society crime in 1844. Exactly. It's, and, and that, it's, you know, Les Mis kind of gets, gives you that And to look. be a man that's trying to stop it. Yeah. You know, to try to help these people. That's huge. Yeah, yeah. He also insisted the need for Christian moral education at the time. That was also the time of the Salvation Army, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Clara, Clara, um. Something for her last name, for Christian moral education in the home, in one of the opening of uh, in one the opening of public libraries, Dickens said that the underlying purpose of education is to bring people closer to an understanding of Christ. Dickens wrote to David Dickinson on a response to his criticism of reference to the doctrine of the new birth by the Pickwick Papers and as that every man who seeks heaven must be born again and good thoughts of his maker the victorians followed uh uh, sabbatarianism and denied to help the needy on the sabbath day this was hated by dickens and he followed the christ teaching the sabbath was not made for the man but the man for the sabbath come on and preach thus he worked even on the sabbath day to raise funds for the needy wow dickens saw the old testament as a set of rigid rules, that he hated it as it was reflected in the attitude of the Victorians. He valued the New Testament more as Christ not only preached but lived and demonstrated his teachings. As the teachings of the New Testament have parables and simple language so as to reach the layman, Dickens followed the simple language in his writings and novels. He stood for the poor and for the fallen people. He believed in forgiveness, acceptance, and redemption. And the teachings of Ephesians 1 7 we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness through his sins. Um, So I'd like to actually go uh, back a little to 1843 um, and Dickens travels to America in 1843 and the one person he wanted to meet was who, Michelle? John Quincy Adams. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. You did. We talked about it. Yeah, it's okay. It's all right. It's great. It's great. (laughs) Uh, And why? Because... um, he had such a wonderful history, but he was also an abolitionist. And if you want to queue up, I think it is, um, are we done with the public square? No, actually, we're going to go to the public square and we're going to queue that one up at minute 18, um, 35, but let me read this slavery. the out. Sorry. Um, let me see here. Okay. So Dickens not only used his words but to of convey a, Christmas a Christian Carol. moral, it, it plays he, every time. he also outlived his <laughs> Christian life. At, oh, wait, we're going back. Wait, here we go. Um, Let's see. We are, we are the sound tech traveled teams. to America in 1843, and, and it inspired him to write a Christmas Carol. While in America, he was impressed with some Amer- Christian abolitionists. He admired the American Church's advocacy for child education and prison reform, but was also appalled and amazed at the open Christian re- re- religiosity in the face of the sinful oppression of slavery. Because they had already outlawed slavery in a um, hundred years before we did, and that was thanks to. Um, William Wilberforce, he was, um, he, he was appalled at some openly Christian pious slave owners. He could not reconcile the Christian ethic with the oppression of slavery. Um, he wrote that slavery created an atmosphere of decay and gloom. He even soured on abolitionists, whom he found hypocritical by their arrogant attitude. He later illustrates this view in the American abolitionists who patronizingly viewed the African race as an absurd and inferior part of creation. In his book, Martin uh, Chiswet, Chiswet Uh, In a letter to his friend John Foster, Charles Dickens rebutted the American idea that slavery was sanctioned by Scripture. He found it ridiculously naive for anyone to believe he felt God could and would protect slaves if their masters were benevolent and obedient to Scriptures. When a Christian defended the belief system of the day by day by citing Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, Dickens' rebuke was, all human beings knew, uh, that there were bad masters, cruel masters, masters who disgraced the form they bore. These were masters of history whose existence were disputed as slaves themselves. His clear point was not that all masters would behave toward their slaves as though they were answerable to God. So it was cruel and absurd to expect slaves to obey their masters as they could Christ while claiming scripture to defend the stand. Dickens believed that oppression of the weak was the great sin of Christian society. Christian disgrace the form of, uh, they bore the image of God who is the f- it was full of grace and love when they exploited and oppressed people who were created in the image of god dickens convictions are found in scripture jesus himself told us what you've done to the least of these you've done unto me matthew 25:45. we dishonor god's image when we dishonor people created in his image the simple instinct of kindness that god gives us tells us that exploiting people is wrong it enraged charles dickens that christians could be involved in the callous materialism of slavery this is reflected in his uh, in a book by this trezzlewith, but few have taken notice that it was at this time he wrote the moral tale a christmas carol that encouraged the miserly scrooge to look outside his locked bedroom door to care for the needs of others the title of christmas carol was intentional carols have a rich history of using imagery and metaphor to communicate god's redemptive work and hearing the gospel through um charles dickens a christmas carol so let's go ahead and play this clip
7: Begins with words that America first heard in the year 1844. Here's your first Dickens test. Marley was dead to begin with. Marley was dead as a
6: doornail. They got it. Doornail.
7: They got it. See what we mean about the influence of this book in American culture? Didn't know they're going to be a quiz, did you? is, Is there any other novel published in America in 1844 that we can readily quote like that today? but it didn't start out that way. In fact, Americans were not very happy with Charles Dickens back in 1844. The trouble all started back in 1842. Yeah, in 1842, Dickens
8: came to the US for his first visit to the States. He came with great affection and great expectations. Who writes this stuff anyway? (laughs) (laughs) He carefully recorded his observations, which were then published as the book, American Notes. His American cousins treated Dickens like a rock star. Everywhere he went, he was mobbed by fans. He traveled American cities doing personal readings of his books to sold out theaters. He could not pay for a drink or a meal anywhere he traveled until he got to Washington, (laughs) D.C.
7: The 30-year-old rock star author hit Capitol Hill with a few thoughts in mind. First, he went looking for a meeting with John Quincy Adams, the son of John and Abigail Adams, the second president of the United States. Like his father, John Quincy Adams was a strong, even intimidating, intellect, with a resume longer than any American living in 1844. As a child, John Quincy had witnessed the American War for Independence with his own eyes. He stood with his mother, watching the explosions at the Battle of Bunker Hill. At the age of 11, he traveled with his father to Europe to assist him as an ambassador during the war. He watched his father inaugurated as first vice president of the United States, and then again traveled with his dad to, in the service of the administration of George Washington. He saw his father elected to the second presidency of the United States. John Quincy served in the Massachusetts legislature and was elected to serve in the United States Senate. He was Secretary of State in the administration of President James Monroe, and he was nominated to the US Supreme Court, but he declined the job. He was elected the sixth president of the United States. After one term in the White House, he returned to his home in Massachusetts where his neighbors, without his permission, elected him to represent them in the United States House of Representatives. John Quincy Adams came from a free state and from a family that never sanctioned slavery or held any person in bondage. He was a passionate early voice for abolition in America. As a member of the Congress, the former president advocated every single year for a resolution to outlaw slavery. His persistence was so annoying that the party leaders in Congress passed an internal rule in 1836 called a gag order that forbade the introduction of any further formal debate of slavery in the House. So for eight years, Quincy fought to defeat that gag order. After eight years, the political bosses in Congress finally relented. In the year 1844, the gag order was struck down. President John Quincy Adams, who began his public service assisting in the administration of George Washington, would end his career as a member of the Congress in his final term He served alongside the man who would become the 16th president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln. Little wonder that when Charles Dickens came to Washington, D.C. in 1844, he was most interested in sitting down with one person, John Quincy Adams. So Dickens spent several days on Capitol Hill, carefully observing the
8: American Congress and news media. Washington may be called the headquarters of tobacco-tinctured saliva. Dickens fumed in American notes. The thing itself is an exaggeration of nastiness which cannot be outdone. As for the politicians, Dickens concluded that like everyone else in America, they were motivated by money, not ideals. I am disappointed, he wrote in a famous letter. This is not the republic of my imagination. Washington, Dickens blasted in American notes, was the home of despicable trickery at elections underhanded tamperings with public officers and cowardly attacks upon opponents, with scurrilous newspapers for shields and hired pens for daggers.
7: What do you think? Sounds strangely familiar, doesn't it? (laughs) And they didn't even have cable news or social media back then. Dickens' trip across America in 1842 began with high expectations for this new land of liberty and opportunity. He returned to England with a number of serious concerns. There was the question of international copyright laws. Dickens was celebrated across the country, but the same people who filled theaters for his personal appearances saw no issue in American publishers making a fortune from selling his books but paying him zero in royalties. But even more than economic self-interest, Dickens was deeply troubled by the factionalized divisions and the cruelty of slavery. Mm. He saw that cruelty spreading to every corner of the nation. America was a mere 14 years away from splitting apart in a horrible civil war. But hardly anyone seemed to notice the impending catastrophe. G.K. Chesterton wrote a biography of Dickens titled, Dickens, The Last of the Great Men. Chesterton wrote, The essential madness is the idea that the good patriot is the man who feels at ease about his country. Dickens spoke thus in his American notes. I do fear that the heaviest blow ever dealt at liberty will be dealt by this country in the failure of its example on the earth. When Dickens returned to England, he published his American notes. That book flopped. His American audience was stunned and insulted by Dickens' honest and revealing account. When Dickens then published A Christmas Carol in 1843, it was an instant success in England. But when a shipment of A Christmas Carol reached the United States in January 1844, the books sat in the harbor, untouched, as dead as a doornail.
0: right that's so good
1: that is really good and you guys can check out um that npr um video the public square call public square keep calling it npr <laughs> definitely why Wait,
0: because yeah. you wish that our national public radio was the public square i know
1: i know that's I really, why you keep I, saying re- that. I really do all right so enter in a christmas carol and this is going to be a two-part series what's our time uh because we're doing uh part one for Brideon and then we're gonna do part two, so we're good for right now, um, but uh, we're gonna ma- probably make this a two-parter. A Christmas Carol Begins. Are you guys ready? I'm ready. To go down down and deep dive into A Christmas Carol now. Michelle, how many versions of the Christmas Carol have we seen? <laughs> I have no idea countless
0: my mom we're gonna play a clip i don't know if we're gonna to get to it today or next week um of her favorite version that that we, we have are. i love his accent there yeah you know, I, I wish we can do this entire show in some sort of british accent it only feels fitting however i don't think that charles dickens himself had a british accent
1: yeah i don't <laughs> i don't know all right charles dickens uses the name ebenezer with a purpose in the Old Testament, when biblical prophets and patriarchs passed through a trial, they would set up an altar or a stone of remembrance to remind themselves how God had led and sustained them through their trials. These stones were called what? Ebenezer's. Now. In
0: one of my absolute favorite songs, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, there's a version that they've actually changed the wording on because sometimes people don't know what it means, but it says, here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. And so
1: it says that in there because people understood what that means. Yeah. And that is from 1 Samuel 7 uh, verse 2. And um, 7, 12. seven, verse twelve, and what does it say?
0: Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, "Thus far the Lord has helped us."
1: Yeah. So, so he he changed. He gave him a name that would be prophetic, that it would change. Uh, what scriptures define as the Lord is my help? Mm. Uh, these stones were a witness of God sustaining. Uh, power in a believer's past and his promise and how he would lead them in the future. They were used as a tangible sign of intangible truth that these believers had learned about God's leading providential care. Charles Dickens uses the name Ebenezer. Oh, yeah. Um, and there's a, we, um, there was a, the Advent at, at the Christmas, um, it's very important, especially in Victoria, England, to uh, write candle, light candles. And at event, it says we light this candle to remember all the prophets of old that God sent to us to tell us of Christ's coming. We light this candle to remind ourselves that many people are so waiting for the coming of Christ in their lives. We light this candle to remind ourselves that as Christ was foretold to come in the past, so He is foretold to come in the future, and we, the church, await His second coming. Oh, uh, he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, Scrooge, squeezing, retching, grasping, scraping, a uh, clutching, covetous old sinner, hard and sharp as flint, from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire. Secret and self-contained, and solitary as an oyster, the cold within him—his him froze his features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheeks, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red and his thin lips purpl.e uh, And spoke out shrewdly in a grating voice. A frosty time was on his head, and on his eyebrows, and his wiry chin. He carried his own low temperature always about him. He iced his office during the dog days and didn't thaw at one degree at Christmas. Our first glimpse of Scrooge finds him white-knuckling his way through life. He is alone in the world and self-reliant. How hard it is for a solitary being to huddle in the cold scrooge trusts no one neither god nor man because scrooge does not trust the gentle hand of god's providence his hands are clenched tightly around for survival's sake his own resources he thinks that he is his only provider because he has to grasp so tightly cannot open up his hand in fellowship to god or man however as we follow scrooge to his home we discover that scrooge is not just a greedy selfish man he is a lost soul who is hiding from his world Hearing the gospel through Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, he lived in chambers which had once belonged to his deceased partner. They were a gloomy suite of rooms in a lowering pile, a building up on a, a, a building up a yard, where it had so little bil- business to be that one could scarcely help but fancying it must have run there when it was a young house, playing hide and seek <laughs> with other houses and forgotten the way out again.
0: That's really good.
1: Now, if you would bring up the YouTube of our, our favorite Scrooge, Christmas Carol, the older one, 1951. Thus, we see Scrooge in his miserly ways as he is asked, Could you please help the poor? Well, it, you know, I don't have that
0: timestamp. Where do you want me to go? It's minute
1: three. Okay, like we're at the end of the movie. And here. this famous line is Are there no poor houses? Are. The twenty
0: right. pound you did. <laughs>
9: What has your wife got to do with it? For that matter, what have I got to do with it? Good afternoon. Mr. Scrooge, it's Christmas. Christmas has even less to do with it, my dear sir, than your wife has or I have. You'd still owe me 20 pounds if you're not in the position to repay for it was a middle of a heat wave in August bank holiday. Good afternoon. Have I the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley? Mr. Marley has been dead these seven years. In fact, he died seven years ago this very day. Well, we have no doubt that his generosity is well represented by his surviving partner. At this festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge, it is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute. Are there no prisons? Plenty of prisons. And the union workhouses, are they still in operation? They are. I wish I could say they were not. And the treadmill and the poor law they're still in full vigour, I presume? Both very busy, sir. Oh, from what you said at first, I was afraid that something had happened to stop them in their useful course. I'm very glad to hear it. I don't think you quite understand us, sir. A few of us are endeavouring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. Why? Because it is at Christmas time that want is most keenly felt. An abundance rejoices. Uh, What can I put you down for? (laughs) Nothing. You wish to be anonymous. I wish to be left alone. Since you ask me what I wish, sir, that is my answer. I help to support the establishments I have mentioned. Those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there. And some would rather die. (sighs) If they would rather die, they'd better do it and decrease the surplus population. Besides, it's not my business. Isn't it, sir? No. It is enough for a man to understand his own business without interfering with other people's. Mine occupies me constantly. Good afternoon, gentlemen.
0: Who's
3: that? Your nephew, uncle.
9: It's you, is it? Well, what do you want? Neither to borrow money or beg a mortgage, Uncle. Only to wish you a Merry Christmas. Keep Christmas in your own way and leave me to keep it in mine. But you don't keep it. Then let me leave it alone then. Much good may do you to keep it. Much good it has ever done you.
3: It's certainly done me no
9: harm. Oh, your wayward nature has done that. And your marriage? My marriage was the making of me. The ruin of you, you mean? Why don't you come and see for yourself if you won't take my word for it? Come and dine with us tomorrow. No, thank you. But why? Why? Why did you marry against my wishes? Because I fell in love. You fell in love with a woman as penniless as yourself. Oh, good evening. Dear. We've never had any quarrel that I've ever been party to. I ask nothing of you. I came here in the spirit of right goodwill, and I won't let you dampen it. So a Merry Christmas to you anyway, Uncle. Good evening. And a Happy New Year. Good evening.
1: <laughs> okay, you can pause that now, there. Now, wait. This is,
0: this, you can find this film in its entirety on... Yeah, we're going to do more clips from this.
1: Yes, you can. I the want Christmas everybody on 1951. That they can go and watch it. Yeah, you can find this whole thing. You you should enter in the first like stave of this Christmas Carol. So the Christmas Carol, as we heard, was actually um, not written as a periodical, but actually as a carol. Mm. And these are stanzas, uh, and enter in in. Um, uh his his nephew Fred is quite literally the first evangelist knocking on Fred's heart. So if you bring back on Ebenezer's the, heart, yeah. Yeah, if you bring back the public square, they explain this and they go a little bit deeper into actually the words from a Christmas carol go farther into the gospel, and that's at minute thirty-two. Okay. Let's go ahead and just screen
0: share here. I'm telling you guys, you can go and find The Public Square. They, uh, their podcast is pretty much anywhere where you want, but thepublicsquare.com. You can listen to all of these.
8: There we go. However, Ebenezer Scrooge was not ready to hear that message in the first stave of this story. Back to the office. Enter Scrooge's nephew, Fred. A Merry Christmas, Ooh. Uncle God Save You cried a cheerful voice it was the voice of scrooge's nephew who came upon him so quickly that this was the first intimation he had had of his approach bah said scrooge humbug christmas a humbug uncle said scrooge's nephew you don't mean that i'm sure i do said scrooge merry christmas what right of you to be merry what reason have you to be merry you're poor enough come then returned the nephew gaily what right of you to be dismal? What reason of you to be morose? You're rich enough. Scrooge, having no better answer, ready on the spur of the moment, said bah again and followed it up with humbug.
7: And the conversation
8: continues. Nephew, returned the uncle sternly, keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. Keep it, repeated Scrooge's nephew, but you don't keep it. Leave me alone then, said Scrooge. Much good may it do
7: you, much good it has ever done you. And here is where Nephew Fred becomes the first evangelist of the story. There are many things from which I might have derived good by which I have not profited, I dare say. Christmas among the rest. But I am sure I have always thought of Christmas time when it has come around, apart from the veneration due its sacred name and origin. If anything belonging to it can actually be apart from that. I've always thought of Christmas as a good time, a kind, forgiving, charitable time. The only time I know of in the long calendar of the year when men and women seem by one consent to open their shut up hearts freely and to think of people here below and below them as if they were really fellow passengers to the grave And not another race of creatures bound on other journeys did you catch that there's a big pause a parenthetical phrase that shows fred's deep respect for the true meaning of christmas as much as he loves the celebration fred makes it clear that nothing could ever mean more than the name of jesus christ and the reality of his nativity and to all of this, Ebenezer Scrooge
8: replied with two words, "Humbug." Does anyone know what a humbug okay, is? you
1: can pause that there. <laughs> all right. So here we have um, something that I, you know, you miss things when you don't actually read the book. And you can't get every uh, line in there. But... Dickens was purposefully trying to show Fred as a Christian evangelist. Um, why do I keep Christmas? Because it exemplifies loving people the way that the person that we're celebrating did Jesus Christ. The, Fred is basically saying, I keep Christmas. Because it reminds me of Jesus. Yeah. And that is the essence of the gospel. And, you know, I wish that the Christmas carols and, and maybe somebody will do an adaptation that adds some of these wonderful Christian aspects to. They should call it the Christ- the Christian carol. They should call it the Christian carol. Absolutely. So we're going to um, wrap up part one here for our Brideon Um Viewers, and if you're watching this back on some of our other channels on Christmas Day, um, is it going to be airing on Christmas Day? It will be airing on Christmas Day. Um, then you're
0: going I to have the whole... I was trying to pretend like it was Christmas, Christmas Day. Day. Well, I started out that way. Good, know, the good consummate Christian professionals. Oh my goodness. All right, it's Wednesday for us <laughs> right now that we're recording this. But we always record our Brideon segments on Wednesdays uh, so that they can air on Sundays. Every Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Brideon.tv. That's where you can find us. And we've been doing these series... And, I, and it was so fitting. Leah came to me this morning. We were just going to have a rerun air. And Leah was like, no, I have a show. This is what I want to give the people. But every week we've been taking you into the Christian history of not just our nation, and but I, the nations that led up to yeah, the birth of our nation. Making your nation
1: a better place. And so I would say Charles Dickens fits right in with our Absolutely. Christian nationalism. I do believe he 100%. was a Christian nationalist. Meaning, Amen. Meaning in his nation, he wanted to make his country a better place. Yes. And he went to America. He thought he'd get some good ideas for America and actually came away wanting, knowing that um, his ideal of Christianity wasn't even being done in America, especially, you know, during that time in the, in the 1800s in America, it was a, it was a hard time. We were, we were, we were at a place where I feel like we are right now Mm. It's dark, uh, where um, people were living very well and very well off. And they were fighting over theological things. No one was stopping slavery. Nobody was. Here's the essence. And I would say this to all the theologians who I kind of Twitter battle with. Go back to a Christmas carol. Yeah. Stop. If your interpretation of scripture and people. Well, you just don't want the Bible to mean what you mean. No, no, no. You don't understand. I have read the gospels. I know who Jesus is. And what you're doing and what you're saying, it's not Jesus. That's really good. And so in in, in your theological battles, he hated these theological battles. Mm-hmm. He hated almost so much some of these evangelists who were so dark and so dreary. And he's like, just live like a Christian. <laughs> exactly. And he didn't even, but here's the thing. He didn't say it like that. Yeah. He's like, you. how can I do this, God? Let me show them so they can see it with their own eyes. Let me just show them. And that's what the parables are about. So when mm-hmm. Jesus is like... Giving us the parable of the Good Samaritan. Yeah. Let me show you. Amen. And so if your example of Christianity isn't, let me show you. If it's not little Dorrit, if it's not a Christmas carol, it's not Christianity. Because something came over this man and he was able to write parables. And so I would say, you know, there the gospel is literally. Entwined in these in these stories, amen. And, and they're really good examples for us to live by.
0: All right, so if you're watching on on you'll have to wait until next week, or you can go to resistancechicks.com to find the second half, where we're going to dig even deeper into Charles Dickens, Christianity, and Christian nationalism, and how this story of Christmas Carol has touched millions. Hey guys, welcome back to Resistance Chicks, where your hosts Leah and Michelle. For our on viewers, it's New Year's Day. So I want to wish you a happy New Year's, and I truly believe that God is going to take this nation someplace that you never imagined in this new season. Now, speaking of a new season, last week, we took a deep dive into Charles Dickens and his his kind of story of redemption through the Christmas Carol and also his personal life and how he was a a very strong Christian. So we've left you kind of in the middle of the story without any recap here. You're going to have to just go and watch it on resistancechicks.com if you missed
1: it. Leah, where are we at? We are at, you know, I'm gonna before we enter into the next stanza of our Christmas Carol adventure, where we're actually intermission. Going to,
0: and for our people on Christmas Day, you have had zero <laughs> intermission. <laughs>
1: exactly. Because <laughs> we're gonna combine it. Exactly. So um we're we're gonna head into next. Um Bob Marley. Mm, Bob Scrooge's Marley. Scrooge's uh dead partner. the one that uh, was
0: actually giving to the poor. Yeah. They show up and they're like, hey, we've got it on your books that your partner, Bob, here, was giving us stuff. We're hoping you'll be as generous as, as he was. Nope. Not going to do it. Not so much. I thought we were, I thought we were buddies. I thought we and were yet, friends. And yet, Bob
1: Marley doesn't make it to the pearly gates. No. He doesn't. He's, Even he if he was to given to the poor at some point. Right. Right. Uh, but I want to bring another article in, and this is a, um, it's called Unveiling the Christian Side of, of Charles Dickens by Dr. T. Uh Shrivedel Shrivedel and, and Dr. G. Emanuel, great last name there. Now, this is a um, very cited work. It's kind of short, but it's very cited work because it's, it's important. It's a literary, you know, professional. They know their stuff. So I'm going to take you back to the Victorian era. So the Victorian era was considered to be very religious and strong in the Christian faith in, in Victoria, England. Religion had its influence in literature, as writers use literature as a medium to kindle the faith of the Victorians. Mm. Charles Darwin's, at the time, his theory of evolution came out and it shook the world. Paul B. Badley, a PhD scholar from Nigeria, in his article, The Christian Implications of Darwin's Theory of Evolution, states... No matter how uh, rational and scientific this theory may appear, it shocked the church Mm. and other liberal thinkers. Darwin believed that human beings developed from an earlier species of apes. That changed millions of years ago. This is a variance from the traditional theory that each species was created by God. It altered the Christian belief that God created man and denied the existence of God. Thus, Charles Darwin's Origins of Species in 1859 created a crisis of faith among believers. This created a sense of responsibility among the writers of the Victorian era to use their piece of work to draw the people back to Christian faith. Many writers use biblical allusions and themes in their works to communicate the significance of religion and to bring people closer to God. Writers like uh, Christina Rossetti, William Gothing, Ernest Hemingway use religious motifs in their works to share their beliefs and instill faith among the readers. Uh Christina Rossetti, who is known for her popular sonnets and ballads, is committed to um high Anglicanism thus in her works like The World a goblin market and other poems reflects the disastrous consequences of forgetting god and running behind worldly pleasures in a better resurrection she portrays the lack of spiritual sustainability in the life of the people another popular writer of the era era was william golding he takes the people back to the first sin of man through his novel the lord of the flies Mm. the island that is corrupted by the arrival of humans in the novel symbolizes the garden of eden the character piggy represents human intelligence, civilization, and arrogance. Similarly, Ernest Hemingway's The Old Man in the Sea has major figures in the New Testament from the Bible. Santiago represents a a godlike figure who struggled to catch the fish marlin. And the injury in his palm symbolizes Christ's sufferings on the cross. Santiago's teaching on fishing uh, to uh, Manolin represents Christ's teachings to his disciples. Thus, the novel is rich in Christian imagery. God's grandeur, one of the most uh, uh, one of the famous poems by G. M. Hopkins, condemns modern man for his thirst on profit and separation from God's voice. The lines read. You wanna read those?
0: Generations have trod, have trod, have trod, and all is seared with trade, bleared, smeared with toil. And wears man's smudge and shares man's smell. The re- repetitions of have trod shows the disgust of the poet over the man's long failing ignorance and selfishness. The words seared, bleared, smeared represent man's monotonous daily chores of the modern life that keeps them busy and separates them from the serving their creator. Hopkins believed Browning, one of the late
1: Victorian poets, Hopkins Popes, believed that recon- <laughs> uh, uh, the uh, reconnection with Thank nature, you. God's creation would invigorate a relationship with God. Robert Browning. I think the quote there was really short. Yeah, the quote was short. And now we're talking, you didn't catch that? I did. I you did. Caught it. You, ran, you rolled with the, it. I rolled. You rolled with it. Okay, it's so the repetitions there. have trod Show the disgust of the poet with man's long feeling. Uh, so Robert Browning, one of the late Victorian poets, used literature to preach about God, immorality in his works. The Ring of the, and the Book uses many biblical references to illustrate the character of each of his di- uh, diverse matters. Alfred Lord Tennyson's, in memorandum, mourns for the loss of Tennyson's friend. Though the poet begins the poem with a tone of despair, he ends with hope, with what? Life after death. Thus, through literature, the writers conveyed the message of hope of heaven, the existence of God, and the necessity of dependence upon God. So there were lots of criticism, criticism and today, even of Zigginson's religiosity. And if you watch the first part of our video and you're on the second part, you know, boy, what a Christian. He wrote a whole book to his kids. How many non-religious people do you know write an entire book about Jesus to his their, ki- to yeah. their kids? And it was
0: specifically for his children. Let me see if I've got that one um, up here. Yeah. Charles Dickens, The Life of Our it Lord. It wasn't
1: even published in 19- until 1934. He wrote it just for his kids. Yeah, He wanted them all to know, please live like Jesus. It wasn't even just know him. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. That's what makes Dickens, that's what makes the Chris DiPero so great. Don't know, just know him, live like him, be like him, talk like him, walk like him. Yes. Thus, Dickens was highly known for his characterization. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dickens excelled in character building. Like the best. I feel like he's the best. In the creation that sounds like a Trump statement. I feel like he's the best. He's the best. C- creation of characters of greater intensity than human beings. Yes. Thus, Dickens was highly known for his characterization, style, and plot. Although he lived in the age of religious novels and used religious allusions in his works, he was not widely recognized as a religious novelist. Sue Sorensen, a faculty member from Canadian Mennonite University, in her article, What Charles Dickens Never Said About Christian Life, says that throughout his lifetime, perceptive Christian commentators did note his lack of commitment. His works are not blasphemous or irreverent, nothing of the sort. But when Dickens comes up against the reality of Christian belief, he does not uh, become unaccustomedly vague and dim. He does does. become. On analysis of his works, many critics have felt his works do not explicitly denote Christian beliefs and morals. They obviously haven't read Christmas Carol. There could also be various reasons for the denial uh, to focus on the religious side of Charles Dickens. One reason could be that Dickens' family was not pre- predominantly devout. Uh, he was raised Anglican. Anglican. Wow, that's surprising. Yeah, and he actually kind of joined with some Unitarians because at that time, the Unitarians were actually doing things. They weren't
0: the Unitarians of today. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> and then, since Dickens outwardly spoke on his hatred of conventional religious doctrines, there was a general impression that he disliked Christianity as a whole. Um and he actually really, truly loved God, okay? In Dickens' well-known novel, Bleak House, uh, Peppy Jellybee, one of the minor characters, replaced the drunkenness of Noah by dipping the toy figure from his ark. This satirizes the noble scene from the Bible. Um, the day of judgment in the Bleak House is a refrain, a slogan, and a very bleak joke she says the elderly miss uh flight keeps waiting for the case to be judged and she goes out of her mind by waiting so long thus this incident satires the beliefs of christians on the judgment day similarly dickens barnaby ridge attacks the jesuits mark andrew uh slick i think these his- are still from this yeah. woman so yeah. what
0: Leah's is reading here are not facts these are this woman's opinion right of why charles dickens was not a, right. a committed um you know Christian in in his in his writings as a novelist right. so these are these are her stances there not necessarily um that's the argument for the other side like you said this is a very well cited work here and they were citing her
1: side but diggins not only used his works to convey christian morals he also outlived his christian life as an example and we talked about this he built libraries he helped uh the poor he helped um He he truly helped people to live a better life. And so this is the Charles Dickens that we enter. And so when we're going to go back here to um, the story of the Christmas Carol. I like that last
0: uh, sentence there. When the Victorian society followed the religion named Christianity... Dickens followed Christ and his teachings and lived as a true Christian. So they were following the teachings of Christianity mm. and, and he was just following
1: Christ and his teachings. Exactly. Good. So we're going to go to our next version and we're going to exemplify Christianity and warning Scrooge that if you don't change, here's a, how, how else is this a tale? Uh, this has to be Christianity Yeah. because this is a tale to, uh, Bob uh, uh, Marley coming to Scrooge saying, if you don't change your life, you're going to end up in chains like me. Yes, You're going to end up with chains like me. This is this is a story of Christmas. It's a story about Jesus. We already talked about in our last episode, we talked about how Fred came. He said, I want to keep Christmas because I want to exemplify Christ in Christmas. Amen. And so other people have tried as satanically to break apart these novels. You know why? Because they're so good. That's that exactly even non Christians right. like to read them, and then and they, they reproduce want to see, them, and they want to see the essence. You're, here's the thing: you won't be good unless you're like Christ. That's right. So, what the the book that he left his kids was: love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Follow our Savior. Follow His steps. Let him in. Let him live in you. Let him dwell in you. This is the essence of Christianity. So before we before we play this is gonna, you're going to queue it up to a minute 1735 enter bob marley's ghost and this is a quote from the book bu- from from the book quite satisfied scrooge enters in he closes his door and he locks himself in in which he was now custom thus secured against surprise he took off his cravat put on his dressing gown and slippers and his nightcap and he sat down before the fire to take his gruel it was a very low fire indeed. Nothing on such Gruling a... Gruul being food. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking it was a drink. Was it a drink? Yeah. All right. Nothing on such a bitter night. He was obliged to sit close to it and brood over it before he could extract the least sensation of warmth from such a handful of fuel. The fireplace was an old one built by some Dutch merchants. It's going to be... What are you doing? Oh, no, you... I just, that's clearly not the definition. Um, it's uh, G-R-U-E-L. Okay. The fireplace was an old one, built by some Dutch merchants long ago, and paved all around no, it's with a quaint porridge. It's a, a porridge. Gruel is a food consisting of some type of cereal. I thought it was. I thought that's boiled what it was. Boiled milk, such as ground mm. oat, sweet rye, and rice, heated and boiled in water, milk. So there you go. Oh. All right, he was eating his gruel, his porridge. Uh, we're going back to the fireplace. (laughs) The fireplace was an old (laughs) one, built by some Dutch merchants long ago and paved all around with quaint Dutch tiles, uh, designed to illustrate the scriptures. There were Cain's and Abel's Pharaoh's daughters, Queens of Sheba, angelic messengers descending through the air on cloud, like feather beds, Abrahams, Belshazzar's apostles, putting off to the sea in boats, hundreds of figures, uh, to, um, chapter 14 uh one says attracts his thoughts and yet the face of Marley, seven years dead came like the ancient prophet's rod and swallowed the whole so this is is scripture baby it's scripture this is all scripture what he's saying is that um this he's trying to give you a a a visual of Mm. what the the mantle and everything looked like over the fireplace uh he had these illustrations uh that were built that were carved in um, notice the biblical imagery that Charles Dickens used to assist in describing Scrooge's fireplace. The painted figures are telling of the scriptures and the faith journeys of those within the scriptures. It is in this setting that Molly's face appears to Scrooge through the prophet's rod. Who are these prophets? These are the people who, quote, those wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins being destitute, afflicted, tormented. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Hebrew, 11, 37 through thirty-eight. O oh, captive, bound in double iron, cried the phantom, "No, not, uh, to, not to, know. to know that a Christian spirit working kindly in this little sphere, whatever it may be, will find its mortal life too short for its vast means of usefulness." not to know that no space of regret can make amends for life's opportunities missed yet such as was i oh such was i why did i walk through the crowds of fellow beings with my eyes turned down and never raised them to that blessed star which led the wise men to poor abode where were there not poor homes to which its light would have conducted me ah here is the nativity story in A Christmas Carol. You know,
0: as you're reading this, and we have read Christmas... I've read A Christmas Carol probably two or three times. Um, and I am actually shocked at hearing some of these quotes that I do not remember. And I think the reason for that is that I have seen every version, I think, out there, at least on video, of the depiction of this story, and none of them use these. And so when we were reading these books as, as young, you know, teenagers or whatever... I'm just, I'm just amazed, actually, as Enter you're reading these quotes. Enter Marley
1: as a prophet foretold. Would we'll be, go ahead and play us there at seventeen thirty-five? So this is not going to depict it that way, but that's okay. But feel it. I but read still, it. Vision yes, it yourself. Exactly. Thirty-five or forty.
0: Yeah, right here. It's shocking to me that in this story, he's got all this money and he doesn't even really want the fire for himself. Ooh.
2: J'ai un Me, who I was. <laughs> You're particular for a ghost. Who are you then? In life, I was your partner, Jacob, Jacob, Jacob Marley. Marley. Can you sit down? I can. What you Say, would you call? Um, him? do it then.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh mercy! You guys are gonna kill me on that one.
2: You don't believe in me. I don't. What evidence would you have of my reality beyond that of your own senses? I don't know. Why do you doubt your senses? Because a little thing affects them, a slight disorder of the stomach. (laughs) You might be a bit of bad beef, a blot of mustard, a fragment of an underdone potato. More of gravy than of grave about you, whatever you are. Humbug, I tell you, humbug. Mercy. Dreadful apparition. Why do you trouble me? Man of the worldly mind, do you believe in me or not? Do, I must. But why do spirits walk the earth? Why do you come to me? It is required of every man that the spirit within him should walk abroad, among his fellow men, and travel far and wide. And if that spirit goes not forth in life, it is condemned to do so after death. It is doomed to wander through the world and witness what it cannot share, but might have shared, and turned to happiness. The chain. Tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard. Is its pattern strange to you? Or would you know the weight and length of the strong coil you bear yourself? It was as full, as heavy, and as long as this seven Christmas eves ago, you have labored on it since it is a ponderous chain. I see no chain. Mine were invisible until the day of my death. As yours shall be. Jacob. T- tell me more. Speak. Comfort to me. I have none to give. Mine? Never walked beyond our counting house. In life, my spirit never roved beyond the narrow limits of our money changing hole. No doubt of that. You you always were a good man of business. Business? Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence for all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. I'm sorry for you, Jacob. Is there anything I can do for you? For me? Nay. It is too late. But I have come For your sake, Ebenezer. Have you? Well, you always were a good friend. As part of my penance, I have been sent to warn you. And so you have. And to offer you a hope and chance of escaping my fate, you will be haunted by three spirits. Three spirits? Is that the chance and hope you mention? it is well in that case i i think i'd rather not expect the first tonight when the bell tolls one couldn't they all come at the same time jacob and have it over expect the second on the stroke of two the third more mercurial shall appear in his own good time me no more. Look that you may remember what has passed between us.
0: Okay. You guys can finish that on YouTube. Literally, this is not an advertisement for it, but you can, I I would highly, highly encourage all of you guys to go and finish that, um, that, that episode or that, that movie, the film there. That's actually a really good depiction, I think of the exchange between Mm -hmm. Jacob, not Bob,
1: you guys, I'm so sorry. We don't
0: even know Bob
1: Marley music. I, like, I know, know, I kept thinking it. It. it's is it Bob, is it Jacob? Is it uh, I'm sorry. So and we have probably I had a ton I'm, of people
0: laughing I'm, so hard. And so that that <laughs> makes it, Mary. Which is a gift that we continually give here on this show.
1: Exactly. That kind of merriness. Exactly. And speaking of making merry, the next part, the next stanza, um, and I'm actually not going to play this. We're going to kind of, my next video will be um, making merry with um, uh, Mr. Fuzzywig. Uh, (laughs) But, um, you know, here you have uh, Scrooge here with his... um, with his with his former partner and he's he's introducing jacob Jacob. he's going to introduce these spirits that are going to come and these spirits um they they actually kind of are to represent just the prophets of uh, of the past or or angels and they come and the first one that comes is the spirit and they say ghost but it actually is a better term a spirit could be angelic of christmas past And in Scrooge's past, he actually was a loving kind boy. Uh, He had his sister, but he was sent away to boarding school. And we kind of see the beginnings of what made Scrooge dark. Yeah. Was his dad. He had an abusive father. And and, that and he was is, left in boarding school and he hated it. He just wanted his dad to love him. He wanted to be at home. And then finally, he was getting to, ready to graduate. And his sister goes and gets him. And oh, your father wants you home and you're going to spend Christmas with us. And it's around Christmas. And he gets three days. And the sister's like, I thought he was going to stay longer. No, no, no. Boy, you have to get into business. You have to make your way into business. And um, we see that Scrooge actually was a... A decent fellow. Um, he, and, falls and in love. he falls and in I, love. I don't
0: know we're giving away this story, but it's very interesting to me, this part of Charles mm-hmm. Dickens' depiction of redemption. Yeah. In all of the movies that we watch and even the books that we read, my little pins here sideways, mm-hmm. we want for Scrooge to be able to go back and get married. Mm-hmm. Like he lost his love. Yeah. But there's a truth to having to um live with the consequences of your actions but, but making God the best
1: of what you have exactly when you get, when you finally do come to know him. And he does. He does in a he very does. powerful way. Spoiler alert. And there's Spoiler no life.
0: sequel to A Christmas Carol where Scrooge finds some nice old lady, like yeah. widow that he married. He doesn't and, need you know. to because
1: here's the thing: it's not. All, it's and that's where we're missing about all of our stories that, that love transcends. This is the greatest love story Amen. because Ooh, he brings good. love to his friends and his neighbors and his family. And his family. And he brings it back all right so let's go to uh, on that particular same one the 1984 one um i want to go to show show you um i think where god is planting seeds on how a good uh, employer or boss works with our friend Catherine. and she has a boss and we always call him mr Fuzzywick because he prays for and with his employees yes he cares about them when they're sick uh, he cares about their family members. Their when their kids have to go to the hospital, um, he gives bonuses. He doesn't keep it all for himself. Um, and he and he enters the room. He 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 conducts a business, yeah. but he does so in a way like Mr. Fuzzywig. So let's play at minute thirty-four here. Uh, what all employers should look like. Okay, hang on. Let me go ahead and close this out real quick. Boom.
0: There we go. I'm beginning to think you've gone through
4: life with your eyes closed. Open them. Open them wide.
5: You know this man? It's Old Fezziwig. Hmm?
4: Oh yes, my dear. Would you ask Mr. Pulling to refer that matter to Mr. Scrooge? Eh? Uh, thank you, my dear. And you know this
9: place? No, it was I not apprenticed here. Pay attention, everybody. Dick, Ebenezer, pens down.
4: No more work tonight, boys. It is Christmas Eve.
9: Uh, So, close those letters down, Ebenezer and Dick. Clear away in here, everybody. We need the room. Here we go, lad.
5: You'll enjoy yourself tonight,
4: Master Ebenezer. That is an order. Yes, sir, I'll try. Put your heart in it. You put enough of yourself into your work, and I have nothing but praise for the way you've discharged your duties. But you're young. Eh? There's more to life than uh, bolts of cloth and musty old ledgers. <laughs>
2: it's Mrs. and the three daughters and their suitors.
5: Well, and a happy Christmas to you
2: all.
5: I have oh. forgotten how beautiful she was. Hello,
4: Belle. Hello. Would
0: you like to dance? Since you danced, Ebenezer? Waste
2: of time dancing. You didn't think so then. There was a reason
4: then.
0: There's been a change in you since you'll come to Fezziwig's. You were so gloomy.
4: Oh, I think I should warn you, Miss Bell. I am of a serious bent of mind.
1: I consider seriousness to be. So, Mr. Fezziwig, um. I like it when you call him fuzzy wig. Fuzzy wig, Mr. Fuzzy wig, Mr. Fuzzy wig. Uh, he he he's he's our character that um, Charles Dickens makes really good. Yeah, and he supplies that for the needs of his employees. He makes sure that they have a good life. And that's another, th- this whole story entwines so many different principles for us to to live by. And so this is his past and he's hurt by it. Mm-hmm. He's hurt by the life that he could have had. But at the same time, still, after this first spirit leaves, he's not convinced. Right. I know I turned that life away. Okay. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Right. I turned that life away. He's not too upset about it. Right. I could have lived that life. I didn't want to. I understand Yeah, it hurts to see, to see that life. Um, but now we want to enter into where he, he's at. Uh, we're still in um, the Christmas present. And I want to go to minute 48 here where we're going to go into Bob Cratchit's home. Now, this is his employee who he doesn't pay very much in the beginning of the, the story. He's not allowed to use much coal. He doesn't want to heat the room. Um, and so minute forty eight forty five 45 uh, is kind of where I want to go. And we're going to enter and we're going to talk about Tiny Tim and and, and, and Bob Cratchit's home here. So we're going to go to, um, got it. We're going to go, actually, sorry, we were in Christmas past. Now we're entering Christmas present as Okay.
4: Here we go, in? I would not disturb As with Christmas past, we shall be invisible and unheard. I wonder what's keeping your father. He's probably
3: stopped to talk to the parson. Father always
4: likes to compliment him on his sermons. I do hope the pudding's a success this year. No one makes a better pudding than you, Mother. Peter, save some for the rest of the family. Just testing the cooking, Mother. I'm sure they'll manage very well in the room without your help, young man. Hello, Hello, Mother.
5: Hello, Mother. Smell the goose cooking, Martha. Yes, it
0: makes my mouth water.
3: Mine too. I can't wait!
4: Well, you'll just have to. Now run along with Martha and help her butter the bread, thinly. Here they are! (laughs) Merry Christmas, everyone! You're late, Bob, precious. Oh, and you're quite like an icicle, Tim. You've been dawdling.
7: Father had a long talk with the minister. Thought as much.
4: Come,
5: Tim, listen to the pudding hissing on the fire. It's like a giant snake inside the copper. Go along with your brother and sister, Tim. I'll begin the wine.
4: Off you go, then. Come on. <laughs> how did he behave here. in church? As good
5: as gold. All right.
8: Better. Mother's very worried if it will turn out all
5: right. Look how they support him. <laughs> what did you say? Nothing. It's, um... Nothing. Somehow he gets thoughtful for sitting by himself so much. He thinks the strangest things he told me coming home that he hoped that the people in church saw him because he was a cripple and that it might be pleasant for them to remember on christmas day who it was that made lame beggars walk and blind men see it seems to me that tim is getting stronger every day that his limbs are growing that he's in better spirits it seems to me
4: yes bob i'm sure you're right he is getting stronger
5: Here, that's the important thing.
4: Belinda, help me with the goose. Yes, Mother.
5: Peter, I have some good news for you. I met by chance this morning at church a fine gentleman, Fred Hollywell by name. He's a nephew of our own, Mr. Scrooge. And he remembered that I have a sudden coming of working age, and he told me that he had a position open starting at three shillings and sixpence every week.
4: Three shillings and
3: sixpence every week?
5: So, if you are agreeable, you may start work on Monday next. Now I can begin to help you and mother. More important, you shall be embarking on a fine career. To start
4: a boy at three and sixpence a week. Well, it's typical of my nephew. It's no wonder he's never been able to put by a penny. Perhaps he's put by more than money. Fred? Huh. He's doing this to spite
2: me, you know. Employing the son of my employee at an exorbitant wage. Tell
4: hmm.
5: we forgotten something. Lord, we thank you for the bounty you have placed before us. We thank you for this day of love and joy. We thank you for allowing us to be together, to share with each other and with you the fullness of our hearts on this special day. Amen. Amen.
7: Amen. 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 something?
4: <laughs> <is honey. laughs> No, no, no. Uh, I, th- I thought I thought no, I. No, uh, I said nothing. Oh. Mm. Uh, Peter, kendi... Alice, Potato uh,
5: Alice.
4: A very small goose. It's all Bob Cratchit can afford. Me. Are you all served?
5: Yes. 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 Then let's begin. And a Merry Christmas to us all.
4: A Merry Christmas to us all. And God bless us, everyone. Tell me, Spirit, will he live? I see a vacant place at this table. I see a crutch without an owner, carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. No. No, say he will be spared. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, none other of my species will find him here. But if he is to die, then let him die and decrease the surplus population. You use my own words against me. So perhaps in the future you will hold your tongue until you have discovered what the surplus population is and where it is. It may well be that in the sight of heaven you are more worthless and less fit to live than millions like this
0: Poor man's child. Okay. I just want to sit here and watch the whole movie with I know, you guys. I like, know. that would be. Um, very fun. To yeah. Do. So instead, since we can't do that, you will have to watch it on your own.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and finish it. Exactly. Um, I want to go to and 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 he uses his words, his own words, anthem. And of course, this is a Christian novel. We're talking about um, people being worth things in heaven. We're talking about um, the very line that he wrote there. I I would hope that people would see me, and they would remember the one who made blind men see and lay men Tiny walk. Tiny Tim. So he's talking about the miracles of Jesus Christ yeah. in this book from a belief system that that you can use any situation that you're in to minister to people. And that's what Tiny Tim is about. Yeah. And you see the first breaking, I believe, of Scrooge's hard heart mm. at this moment. And in this, Tiny Tim's message, does break him and it does prick him. And so even if the message is, is even if you are a broken person, even if you're lame, if you have the love of Christ inside of you, you are worth more than a million Scrooges. Amen. And he also points out that, um, Fred was storing up treasures in heaven. Exactly. And these are timeless. Like when he said, perhaps Fred's storing up more than money. And and he doesn't quite get it. He doesn't understand it at that it was, moment. It was a very foreign sentence, right? To him. I want to move on here to um, the go back to the 1951 version. I want you to go to minute one, and we're going to talk about one oh one. Yeah, one. Well, minute um, hour, just w- hour, one hour. I think that's what it, that's where I want to go. Just one hour, and and we're going to look at the um, the the beggarly. Um, the wait, I miss. Is it one hour? Um, we're gonna look at the 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 beggarly children that that the spirit has underneath of his of his coat here. This is the same. And I love that we're
0: you've got us using multiple versions. And I'm gonna keep us in the corner this time because uh, I think you guys seeing our reactions to this is really important. So here we go.
7: And...
9: spirit, are these people real or are they shadows?
5: They're real. Where are the shadows? Both of us. Did you not cut yourself off from your fellow beings when you lost the love of that gentle creature? Where are you taking me now? My time with you, Ebenezer, is almost done. Will you profit by what I have shown you of the good in most men's hearts? don't know. How can I promise? It's too hard a lesson for you to learn. Then learn this lesson.
2: Spirit, are these yours? They are man's. They cling to me for protection from their fetters. This boy is ignorance, this girl is want. Beware them both, but most of all, beware this boy. But have they no refuge? No resource? Are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? Are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses?
1: Are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? Are there no prisons? Okay, pause it there.
0: I want to comment on this a little bit because, you know, what I, 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 this, while we're all having our own kind of Ebenezer Scrooge moments, and we should kind of have them daily. Honestly, what I was thinking about with that repetition of are there no prisons, are there no workhouses? I see in the patriot movement this intense callousness to whether it is African migrants or migrants from um suffering. South America that you know they're they are suffering. Mm-hmm. Just because they're going about the, the correction of that suffering right. the wrong way mm-hmm. doesn't mean that we should be heartless yeah. to their suffering. What right. should we do to be fixing it? Have a heart. But every
1: every area that you have people in your life, and I think that this goes into um, our next stanza, where we're going to go now to um, the, the, the future, where um, he's going to see himself... In the future but we're gonna jump um i don't not gonna spend a lot of time on the future what you see in the future um is tiny tim is dead yeah um it's really and depressing. you see scrooge dead and they are just in the um, grave and, and they are fighting over his garments uh people are laughing about going to his funeral because nobody cared about him because he didn't care for anybody else and he sees and at, that at the end of this stanza um, you're going to see him see, this is this grave, this is your life. And so what I love about Charles Dickens is he takes him from the past and he heals up his past. He looks at the present on what he could change in the present and he takes him to his future. And people need to know where you're going to go when you die. No one's going to love you. Nobody's going to care about you. And so there is this, Hey, you can make things better, but look, look at what your life is going to lead to. So if you go ahead and go in that, um, in that version, we want to go to minute, um, uh, um, minute, uh, hour one, 1135. One hour, 11 minutes, 35 seconds. Got it. And we are going to be in the graveyard right here. Yeah.
9: Before I draw nearer to that stone, answer me one question. Are these the shadows of things that must be, or are the only shadows of things that might be? I know that men's deeds foreshadow certain ends, but if the deeds be departed from, surely the ends will change. Tell me to sow
4: with what you show me now. Amen. Oh.
9: Why show me all this land beyond all hope? Oh, pity me, spirit, pity me. And help me. Help me to sponge away the right in this stone if I repent. And I do repent, I do repent. I'll make good wrongs. He says he repents. I'll change. I'm not the
4: man I was. I'm not the man I was. Believe me, believe me. I'm not the man I was.
9: Not the man it
0: was, I'd... <laughs> it's quite the bed, right, mm. <laughs> He's ready for another spirit.
5: Good morning, sir.
0: Tell me, what day is it?
5: What day? What's Christmas Day, of Christmas Day. Christmas Day.
9: Then I haven't missed it. The spirits must have done everything in one night. Of course, they can do anything, can't they? Of course they can. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
5: you quiet yourself, sir?
9: What? Well, I don't know. No, I, I don't think so. I hope not. What? <laughs>
0: the curtains are still here. They're still here. You didn't, you didn't tear them down and sell them. They're, they're here now. Everything's here. Oh, I hate It's fine. We have to for time's sake. I'm she has to really skip some of the best parts. Script. It's okay. So you
5: forced
0: me to scream for the beetle. The beetle, madam. <laughs> I think for the beetle.
9: A guinea? Here, what for? I'll give you one guess. To keep me mouth shut.
5: to
9: keep me mouth shut. no, 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 Mrs. Dilber. It's for a Christmas present. A
5: Christmas present? For me?
9: Of course, for you. A merry, merry Christmas. Dear Mrs. Dilber, oh, oh, how much do I pay you?
5: Two shillings a week.
9: What? Two shillings? It's forthwith raised to ten. Ten shillings a week, dear?
5: You're sure you don't want to
9: see a doctor? A doctor? Certainly not. Nor the undertaker. Now off you go and enjoy yourself. Like a good girl.
0: Bob's your uncle! <laughs> <laughs> Bob's your uncle. He used to be Bob's yes, your uncle. Yes, Fanny's yes, your aunt. <laughs> This is the best part of the whole movie.
5: The beautiful morning.
9: Hello there, hello, you, you, boy, you. Who, me? Yes, you. Do you know the butchers in the next street with
2: one? I should hope (laughs) so.
9: intelligent boy, a remarkable boy. Uh, tell me, they sold the prize turkey that was hanging there, not the little turkey, the big one. Well,
8: the one as big as me?
9: Yes. Delightful <laughs> boy. Uh, yes, my buck, the one as big as you. It's
8: hanging there still.
9: Is it? Very well then, go and buy it.
8: Whoa, uh? uh,
9: No, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm in earnest. Tell the butcher to bring it here and I'll give him the name of the party he has to send it to. Come back with the butcher and I'll give you a shilling. Come back with him in less than five minutes and I'll give you half a crown. <laughs> An enchanting boy. <laughs> <I love it. laughs> I'll send it to Bob Cratchit. That's what I'll do. He'll never dream where it came from. Now let me see. I must have a label. Label, 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 <laughs> label. <laughs> it's, it's twice the size of Tiny Tim. <laughs> Mr. Robert Cratchit, 2 Porter Street, Camden Town. That's you, Robert. These there's no one else I know of. I think I know who sent it. Who? who? Who?
0: Mr. Scrooge. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Whatever made you think it might be him? I don't
4: know. I just think it.
0: I love that they're holding this raw bird. Like it's a dog. It's a real I got a puppy. Christmas. Okay, do we I don't know if we have time to finish it.
1: Yeah, I think I think we um Yeah, and I think obviously, you know, and then he goes and visits his is Fred and he shows his, up his and nephew his a's, he, he keeps Christmas and you just want to cry and you're just so excited and how much time we have left on this episode here. Uh if we have okay, three minutes left. That is a Christmas carol and I want to end with this. The redeemed Scrooge is now fully aware of the true meaning of the Christmas season remembering the birth of christ and unselfishly helping others our final view of scrooge reinforces the sentiment that all things are possible at this time of year it was always said of him dickens tells us that he knew how to keep christmas well may that truly be said of us and all of us and so as tiny tim observed god bless us everyone With the conversion of Scrooge, Dickens illustrates that his readers too can also be converted from harsh, complacent, selfish worldviews into one which love, hope, and charity are possible. And so I want to encourage all of you. In the midst of, and I'm going to take, I'm taking stock of this myself as I was doing this episode, when we do these shows, I want you guys to know that we do them as much to minister to us as to minister to you, that we have learned something Amen. and we're bringing it to you. And so today, one of the things we are learning is forgiveness Mm. and covering that up and also um, making sure that you're keeping Christmas in a way like scrooge and so if you're running around from place to place trying to get presents for people and trying to get equal presents for people and you're trying to make sure you got all the right food stop wow ask yourself and i will ask with you and i'm going to ask every year help me to keep christmas because there is something so beautiful about the christmas season where all eyes are on jesus and we're all singing christmas carols Ask, and I will ask with you, help me to create Christmas like screws at the end of Christmas Carol.
0: No, that's really good! Because it's not just about the giving of the the, the bird and, you know, this kind of, now you've got this philanthropic Scrooge that you see. It's about repentance. He says, when he's holding on to the feet of uh, the ghost of Christmas future, he says, I repent, I repent, I repent, right? Like... That's what God asks of all of us, true repentance, where we say, I was headed down a path and I'm turning and I'm going the other direction. So guys, Leah and I have been so honored to be able to share our lives and share the gifts that God has given to us with so many of you around the world. So I just want to let you guys know just how thankful we are for you, the Resistance Chicks family. You know, when I'm talking about our show to other people and I'm referring to like our audience or our viewers or whatever, nothing sounds quite right, our listeners, unless I say the Resistance Chicks family. You guys, we are all part of the kingdom of God, the body of Christ. And I've been asked countless times, Why we celebrate Christmas? Because it, it, you know, there's the pagan roots, and Jesus was probably born in September. And this is what I put in our Christmas card this year. There is some, there is an anointing every Christmas that comes over all of society around the world. Mm. Why? And why would you not want to celebrate Christ Mm. at the same time as everyone else around the world? And how much? like God, to Mm. take a pagan holiday and say, I'm going to have the focus on my son. And from a more factual standpoint, the wise men did visit Jesus probably on December 25th. And he was a toddler. He wasn't there. I know it's a big letdown, right? In the stables there. It doesn't matter when you celebrate Christ. Mm. There's a reason why Christ's birth is not in the Bible. I think it's because God didn't really want us to know because mm-hmm. he wants to celebrate Jesus all year long. Mm-hmm. But I think that God specific, I know that God specifically designed Christmas time to go throughout the ages, a time where everyone focuses on the coming of the savior and everything has been changed yeah. From that moment on, yeah. so from our family to your family, Merry Christmas, Merry to you. Christmas, and God Happy bless us, everyone. Yes, you know it's always in my head. I just I think of that. Oh, delightful boy. Oh, oh delightful enchanting, boy. enchanting boy. We yes, go around and we just, say that around our house all, all the time. We quote a Christmas Carol. Why do we quote Charles Dickens and a Christmas Carol so much, Leah? Because it's ingrained
1: in all of us. The literature is ingrained in all of us. It speaks to our soul.
0: Yes. All right, you guys. It's not just a conspiracy theory. if Ebenezer Scrooge repented and so can you It's not just a conspiracy theory, if it's the truth, we love you. God loves you. God bless and we will see you next time. Bye guys.
5: I was called all alone. No place for home.
4: every day so afraid but you